Hello and welcome to the My First Five Years podcast. I'm Alistair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson. We're early years experts and the founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. And this is the podcast that will help you find the joy in parenting and ditch some of that guilt and worry. Yep, let's get rid of that anxiety and have much more fun. Today's episode is called Yes Day, and before you turn off in terror as you think we're going to tell you, just say yes to ice cream, chips, crisps and tattoos. We're going to talk (laughs) more about alternatives to saying just no to children. So what if I told you that by saying yes to your toddler more often in the right situation, obviously you'd be equipping them with the confidence to ask for a job promotion in the future, which sounds a bit daft, but actually there is some truth in it. I can't wait to hear more about this because sometimes as a parent, you feel like you are constantly saying the word no. All the time. All the time, all day, every day. No to biscuits, no to glitter, no to TV time, no to, well, just no to lots of things. And of course, there are times when it is absolutely appropriate to say no, like when your child's about to run into the road, clearly you need to take action. But we want to chat about some of the other times when you almost automatically say no and what some of the alternatives might be that can make everybody feel like they're getting what they want. And honestly, it can lead to a calmer and happier environment at home. And who's going to say no to that? Exactly. And it can make a really big difference because sometimes just saying no, especially with a toddler, becomes like a habit. And actually, what we're going to talk about is if you just think slightly differently, everybody might benefit. Alistair, let's just explore a little bit what we mean by offering an alternative to no and why that might be a good thing for you and your child. Well, as a parent, as a busy parent, as a realistic parent, as a stressed parent, no is a very easy out from a question, a situation, because you're given a firm conclusion that gives you no more responsibility, you can move on. Well, it might feel like that, but which child ever responds well to a no? Exactly. (laughs) So when your child says, like, can I have jammy dodgers for breakfast? You're just like, (laughs) no. Uh, And I'm not suggesting that you say, oh, well, maybe we do have jammy dodgers for breakfast, because you need to make parenting judgments that suit you and your parenting style. Mm -hmm. But part of why your child is asking the question is the interest in the more complex bit, because it's not just linked to the fact that they want sugary jammy dodges for breakfast it's also linked to expressing a preference it's linked to the dynamics of power within a relationship it's linked to testing lots and lots of conscious and subconscious kind of human nature Mm -hmm. so when they're saying can i have jammy dodges for breakfast yes we could just close it down and say no and sometimes if you are literally walking out the door and the dog's just weed on the floor and the toast burning in the toaster, you're not going to sit down and have a half hour conflab about why you might do something alternative to jammy dodges. <laughs> but there are times where you think, right, when there is an opportunity to explore adding a little bit of yes into what's still possibly a Ultimately no. Ultimately a no, yeah. That actually has loads of benefits, both for the relationship you have with your child, but also their ability to develop some really sophisticated skills around human and personal interaction. I'm really looking forward to exploring this more. Alistair, give me some examples where we might say yes instead of no, and and why that helps everybody involved. Sometimes it's about reframing part of what the child is asking for and giving them a little bit of control within the conversation. So you're not saying mm-hmm. an absolute no. Sometimes you're, you are saying yes to an element of what they ask. And sometimes you are saying no really to what they're asking, but you're offering an alternative, which means I have listened, I have understood, and I'm in a 
period of negotiation with you. And that's what this is. This is early negotiation skills that you are developing in your child. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, you want them to come back and try and up your stake a little bit. So you mm -hmm. offer them this and they come back and say, well, I'll maybe take that. But how about we add in a bit of this? <laughs> and eventually, over time, they become really sophisticated in that to and from. And they also understand that not everybody's going to say no all the time. And that actually... Within life, there is room for negotiation. It and typically actually, is, yeah, isn't there? And in good relationships, that's what it's all about. It's not always about negotiation for that pay rise, but in just general day-to-day -day life, mm -hmm. if you're just used to a binary world of yes and no, you never develop the skills to be able to have those negotiations. So at this stage in development, this is about, can I have jammy dodges for breakfast? Can I get the Play-Doh out now? And you might be saying, well, we're making the tea now. So we can't get the Play-Doh out now, but we can get it out after tea. Or the Play-Doh's in the cupboard, but I'm making the tea. How about we pull over the stool and you help me to chop the carrots? Or So partly that's a distraction mechanism, but it's also saying, I've heard you. I'm giving you a really valid reason for why we can't get the Play-Doh out now. But rather than just say no, I'm saying, how about we do something else? And again, 100% of the time, that's not going to be an option. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time there is way more space for saying a little bit of yes than there is just that flat no. Yeah, I think as adults, you know, we've all got that little saying that we have now, which is the computer says no. When, <laughs> you know, you ask for something reasonable in a shop or somewhere else and you just get a no and it doesn't make any sense. So I think I always said when I uh, ran a childcare group, sometimes the answer was no, but I always said to explain why yeah. we can't do that because, yeah. and then people will accept it. But if yeah. you actually just say no, I think yeah. as an adult, you go away feeling a bit aggrieved. And I presume a child is exactly the same without any of the cognitive development to deal with it. Absolutely. And what you've basically got is an, in an intention that's within that child. I want to do this. Yeah. And then what you're doing as an adult is putting a hard block on that. Yeah. And that kind of enthusiasm and intention, that kind of feeling of energy has to go somewhere. Yeah. So if you're saying, we can't do that, but how about we do this? You're saying, here's an outlet for that energy. Yeah. If you just say, no, go and find something to do or no, then what that tends to do is either that builds up or it finds an outlet in something that's often... A little bit less. Yes. What the adult would kind of not say conforms to their behavioural expectations. Yes. So that's when somebody will go and crayon on your kitchen cabinets, you know, or whatever it may be. Or just get upset. Or just yeah. get upset or yeah. frustrated or yeah. slam a door or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. Or, you know, go and nip their brother, that kind of thing which happened a lot in our house. So it's about the idea of thinking about the intention that comes from the child and trying to give them an outlet, which mm -hmm. doesn't mean saying yes to everything, but gives them an alternative that they can buy into. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think it'd be also handy to just explore some of the situations where it's less easy to not say no. Um, I'm thinking of things like bedtime, for example, where there's a valid reason for why a certain thing is happening and why maybe the answer to can yeah. I stay up till 10 o'clock tonight is no. Yeah. And there are things that will happen in there every day, which for practical reasons or health and safety reasons have a no at the end. I mean, there are ways of saying no as they yeah, are. Yeah, and imagine adults. there's still other yeah. ways to say it. And I think you can say no with an explanation of why it's a no. And again, for lots of children, they will accept that. But for some, they just won't because their desire to do the thing they want to do. Say they're engaged in playing a game or watching something and you're saying, right, and now it's time for bed. Yeah. It's really hard for them to go, right, okay, I'm going to stop doing this thing. I'm really enjoying to go and sleep. Yeah. So again, it's that kind of 
intent and energy that they've got around the enthusiasm for what they're going to do, which is trying mm-hmm. to give that a bit of an out. Mm-hmm. But being able to say, no, this is what we do because, and yeah. given that good reason why it's bedtime because, I mean, even down to things like look at the time on the clock. And I know some parents will mark key times on their clock mm-hmm. with a sticker or a shape. And you can mm-hmm. say, you know, it's pointing to our bedtime sticker. It's time to go to bed. Yep. But also trying to give children an element of control so they don't feel that they're the victim of the choice. Yep. Even though they are the victim of the choice <laughs> uh, because it's done in their best interests. So trying to add in some elements of choice into, okay, we're going to go up to bed now, but either can we bring in a game? So nothing that's going to get them too giddy. Yeah, yeah. But can we count the steps? Can we play? Can we sing our song while we're walking up the stairs? So it's a bit of distraction, but also it's giving them something to aspire to. When we are choosing what we're going to put on, do you want to choose which pyjamas you want to wear? Do you want to wear the blue ones or the orange ones? And again, let them have that choice. Mm-hmm. I think what's also interesting about children developing the ability to choose is we know that toddlers find choice really difficult. They love the idea of choice. Right. But actually, we will all, if you've got a toddler, you will know that thing where you said, do you want the blue cup or the yellow cup? And they say, I want the yellow cup. So you give them the yellow cup and then they go, but I wanted the blue cup. (laughs) And then they have a massive meltdown. You're like, but you asked, I asked you and you said you wanted the yellow cup. So when humans are developing the ability to express a choice mm-hmm. what you're doing in your head is making a decision that you're going to go and back that one horse you're going for that one thing yeah and as you get better at it you make that decision based on your knowledge of the thing that you've chosen mm-hmm. or your excitement at choosing something that you've not chosen before and what that's going to be like but at the beginnings of that development you kind of make that choice and think oh maybe that was the wrong choice maybe i should have gone for the other one so it's really usual especially for toddlers to choose and then to absolutely change their mind as soon as they get their choice. Because partly they've made the decision, but also they're then panicking subconsciously that they've made the wrong decision and they should have chosen the other thing. So it's a really common thing to do. So even when you are trying to give them a bit of choice, like which pyjamas would you like to it wear? It might not always go as you Don't plan. be surprised yet if they choose the you know, one and then decide to do the other. Just one thing though. I mean, I know we've ended up talking quite specifically about bedtime, but a bit of notice, I think, always helps. If you always. know that a child is massively engrossed in something yeah. and you can probably predict you're about to have a problem about bedtime, I would suggest that instead of just going up to them and say, right, come on, bedtime now, either five minutes before or if you haven't given them notice just say do you know what it's bedtime I can see you loving what you're doing so you can have an extra five minutes and then we're going to bed yeah. that's going to surely make a difference and, and sort of dis, um, so delay a bit of conflict if nothing if else think beyond bedtime if we're thinking getting dressed for going to preschool or school if we're thinking about when it's going to be snack time or lunch time yeah and again it's often when children are really engaged in something and mm-hmm. they won't want to stop not the idea of setting a timer and saying, right, when the timer runs out, you've got to stop. Because again, that's a bit of a hard stop and it's a really kind of abstract concept. Yeah. But the idea of coaching them through Mm -hmm. and giving them a series as much as you practically can, again, it's not always practically possible, of warnings of what's coming, but making what's coming also attractive and you can help me with all we are going to do. There will be times though when you take the choice out of your child's hand or you give them options and they still will become emotionally dysregulated or upset because they're not processing 
reasonably mm -hmm. like a logical adult. They're mm -hmm. thinking, I feel like this. I don't want to stop doing this. I don't want to go to bed. I want to stay and do this. Or I don't want to come and have my lunch now. So there are times when your child will or your their lack of getting the choice they want, even though you've tried to kind of give them options, will result in them becoming upset or emotionally dysregulated. And I think what we shouldn't do as parents is then cave and say, oh, okay then. Right. Because on the one respect, they're probably not actively manipulating you because cognitively they're not capable of that. They're not ready yet, but, but you they are, will be. <laughs> you are teaching them from very early on that if I push for long enough, mm -hmm. ultimately I I'll get, get what, what I want. At the end. Yeah. So I think what, and it's hard to do, it's really hard to do, but what we're doing as parents then is saying, right, I accept that you are angry, upset, frustrated, what I'm not going to do is go back on my word, but what I am going to do is coach you through that emotional dysregulation. So I'm going to say to you, in whatever way you articulate it as a parent, I can see you're frustrated, I can see that you're upset, and I, I know that feeling and I know why you are, I recognise that feeling, but sometimes this has to happen. But when I feel like that, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. How about we, whatever it may be, take some deep breaths, read a book, have some calm time. Mm -hmm. So rather than saying, oh, okay, let's just give you what you want. We're going to say it has to be a no, but let's recognize this feeling and let me model for you some ways of articulating that feeling in an appropriate way. As I'm listening to you there as well, it reminded me that for me, it was more about a rhythm of the day. So knowing what was likely to be next rather than strict timetables, because I just don't think days ever quite work out that nine o'clock we're doing this and at 12 o'clock we're doing this and at four o'clock we're doing this. You but if we know. So right. Yeah. I mean, I love the phrase rhythm of the day because <laughs> it's just when you think about how children function, they kind of get into a rhythm. Yep. And I think rhythm also implies that sometimes it's fast and sometimes it's slow and sometimes it's loud and sometimes it's quiet. And when we try to get children to conform to the kind of timetable and adults get themselves stuck into, mm -hmm. they just don't function in that way. It's not typical for their development. So the idea that you can set an expectation for children of what's going to be happening across the day, you can signpost what the day is going to look like, but also remembering that at nine o'clock, four o'clock is eons away. <laughs> so we're talking about what's going to happen in the next half hour, the next hour, and we can signpost and at the end of the day, but can't expect them to hold that knowledge in their head. And one thing you can do if your child is struggling around routines and you know you've got to get to a particular destination, which could be getting out to nursery preschool, getting to lunch, getting into bed. If they struggle, and that's not unusual, to keep a routine in their head because mm -hmm. you expect them to keep a sequence of events <laughs> in their head while yeah. being distracted by the world around them. You can try things like visual timetables. Yep. And you don't have to be like Picasso, just little doodles that say, you know, when we do bedtime, this is what we do in the order that we do it. Mm -hmm. And you can stick your post-its wherever you want to stick them and just say, we're here now and this is happening next. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to get all fancy, you can get all fancy and kind of laminate them. Or just cut pictures out of a magazine, or never whatever. mind laminating. Yeah, whatever, if you've got a laminator. <laughs> Who doesn't love a laminator? Who um, has a laminator? Not me. I've got a laminator. Yeah, of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> laminate everything. I've got some really good laminating stories, but let's save those for a different <laughs> podcast. Um, but also you can do it where if you think your child is really struggling with a particular routine, get some little figures, whether that be toys, teddies, whatever it may be, and do a bit of role-playing, positive role-playing with Teddy Goes to Bed or 
Teddy gets dressed and so you're going through saying it's morning time, we're waking up, what's Teddy going to wear today? Shall we choose this for Teddy or shall we choose that? Oh, it's important that Teddy gets ready in time otherwise. And what you're basically doing is scaffolding around what your expectations of your child is without mm -hmm. saying in that really stressful moment, come on, get your shoes on. Because you know they will do things and they do. And again, it's not children trying to manipulate you. It's literally them experimenting with being a human. But that thing of you'll put the shoes on and they will take them off. Or they'll say, I don't want socks on today, or I'm not putting my shoes on. And then wait until you're literally out of the door. And at that point, it's really hard to say, I recognize that emotion. So what I'm going to do now is to give you some choices. Would you like the red shoes or the blue <laughs> shoes? What you're basically saying is, get your shoes on, we're going to be late. But if we can try and avoid that by preempting it, yeah. then it can really help in the moment not let a child go to that place where they want to achieve power by knowing they can say, I'm not putting my shoes on today because they are familiar with routine and it's kind of internal to what they do. You also talked about avoiding negative phrases there. So not just the word no, but just sort of generally negative conversations. So what do you mean by that? Well, it's sometimes called pink elephant syndrome. Okay, so, not heard of that one before. Well, I just made it up. No, I didn't really. <laughs> Uh, so if I said to you, if I said to you, don't think about pink elephants, ah, you're right. thinking about pink elephants. If I said to you, don't think about chocolate, you're thinking about chocolate. Uh -oh. I want some chocolate, chocolate now. I really want chocolate. <laughs> uh, so if we say to our children, don't do that, don't kick my seat, don't bang with your fork, don't run down the slope. What you're basically doing is putting the idea or affirming the idea of the use of language in their head. Yeah. And sometimes... Very early on, when children are trying to process language, they don't process all of the language in the sequence that it comes out of your mouth with meaning attached to it. Right. So if you're saying, don't jump up and down on the settee, they might just hear jump and settee. They're the two words they cling on to. So before you know yeah. it, that's exactly what they're doing. And that's not saying that you're saying then jump on the settee, but they those words then pop into their head and they're thinking, ooh, jump, I know what that is, settee, I know what that is. Whoa, that's a good idea. Let's jump on the settee. So you can reframe language by saying things like, rather than don't run, although if for safety reasons, like, <laughs> can we use walking feet? Can you take baby steps? Can you take some big, slow, giant steps? But again, those things take thought. Mm -hmm. So it's good as parents to have thought about that pre the moment happening. Mm -hmm. But the idea that you don't want to say don't all the time or stop, whatever it may be, but try and use distraction or turn it into something different. And why does it matter? Why does it matter that we are going to all this cognitive trouble of thinking about this stuff? Because, you know, parenting's hard enough. Tell me why it matters. Well, it matters in terms of being a parent. If you are going to, if we know that by saying don't jump on the settee, that cognitively children are going to process that and are more likely to jump on the settee, you are making your job harder. True. So in that respect, it makes your job easier. But also what you're doing is brain training your children from a very early age where you're using other types of language, other types of thinking processing. Because don't jump on the settee has got one type of thinking processing attached to it. If we said something along the lines of, I wonder if we could take some really tiny little mousy steps what your child's got to think about to process what you've just asked them, as well as you doing the little mousy steps and demonstrating, mm -hmm. is a whole other raft of processing that actually requires a lot more prior knowledge, imagination, experimentation. So 
there are huge benefits even from using that other type of language for your child, which aren't immediate in their actions, but yeah. are in their processes. But just generally. So I guess what you're saying is that negative language is kind of closing down yeah. the conversation, closing down a child's imagination. Yeah. Whereas the examples you're giving there is actually sparking their imagination and no doubt literally sort of growing their brain almost. Yeah. And there will be times where you have to say stop or don't <laughs> because it's safe for your yeah, child. Yeah, yeah, there are or times. times when it's just not practical or you just haven't got the energy. It's, mm -hmm. There will absolutely be times as a parent when that happens. But if you can get into your head this kind of idea that this works and try it out and practice a little bit, and then it becomes second nature, yep. you'll find it actually makes parenting in that respect easier than it might have been. Got you. Alistair, this concept of yesterday, does it apply to babies? Well... Yes, <laughs> it kind of does. Obviously, at the stage of development where babies are, so they're often pre-spoken language, but mm -hmm. we talked a lot in podcasts and also in the app, we talk about how babies are able to communicate without using language. And also in terms of their cognitive development, they won't necessarily understand with the clarity that older children do about the difference between what is yes and what is no. Mm -hmm. So for babies, it's about allowing them to have some control over exploring the environment around them. So rather than constantly giving things to our babies, putting them in spaces, lifting them, putting them down, giving them resources to play with, the version of this for babies is giving them a little bit of choice and allowing them some time to select and they'll base that selection on their cognitive development. Okay. So it's not the same as we talked about with the different coloured cups where toddlers are making informed decisions about one cup and they've got a preference. This is about a baby experience in the world around them and actually having an option to have a selection of things, maybe selection of toys in front of them, maybe on a low-level shelf, and they're allowed to select the thing that interests them. So that's kind of a version of at baby level of yes, because it's expressing a preference. This is not about saying to babies, would you like to have the blue cup or the yellow cup? And obviously for babies who are moving and touching and lifting, they are exploring the environment, but there are times when for, for safety reasons and a lot with babies where you've got to say no. And sometimes when you're explaining to babies why no, they're not going to understand explanation either. Mm -hmm. But what you're developing is a culture as a parent. It's really about changing your parenting style around offering your child choices and being able to explain those choices. And then if the choice doesn't go according to plan, being able to support your emotions of your child if they're not responding well to the choice they've made or they don't like what happened at the end of that choice. Because actually, if you think about it, the habit of saying no does start right from the beginning, really. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. I mean, when a, when a child's exploring food at a very young age and flicking it all over the place, what are you likely to say? Yeah. No, no, don't right. do that. Or dropping the food on the floor or all of those, you know. And yes, you know, we keep going back to the fact there are times when you do need to say no, but it is a habit. And also, as a parent... It is a conclusion. It's, I don't have to think about this anymore. I've made a decision. And with everything else that's going on in this moment, to say yes to that request just feels like the straw that's going to break the camel's back. But if we accept that sometimes that will be the case and we will just say a flat no and maybe reflect on it afterwards, but it doesn't make us bad parents, nor does it damage our children. But if we can get into the habit of thinking, well, actually, can I give a bit of a yes to what's mainly a no, mm -hmm. and at least there's some compromise, there's some really good lessons to be learned there. 
At the beginning of the podcast, Alistair, you yeah. made a very bold claim that a yes day could lead to your child in the future asking for that promotion to yeah, their dream job. Bold, yeah. yeah, a bit bold. <laughs> Explain. Well, it's basically about the fact that when you are entering into these negotiations with your child, some of which you will give lots on, some of which you will give little on, and some of which you give nothing on at all. But if you do that regularly from when they are tiny, they grow up with a mindset, with a kind of subconscious culture in their brain, that those things are okay to do. And they'll be very well rehearsed in that kind of serve and return, which we've talked about a lot, around those particular issues. So Mm -hmm. it gives them a bit of confidence to be able to have those negotiating skills. I mean, they won't be thinking when they're three and four years old, this is going to get me a job promotion or a pay rise in the future. But they're exactly the same skills. (laughs) Those transferable skills that need to be developed. And I think also more importantly, that not everybody who asks for a job promotion or a pay rise gets it. So when they get the no in the world of adulting, it means that you've got lots and lots of skills around how you manage the emotion of a negative response, especially for something that's really important to you. So a yes day starts out as just finding some compromise as a parent, Mm -hmm. but actually what's going on for your child in terms of the subconscious social learnings and interactions will give them skills that if they practice them regularly enough, which we give them the opportunity to do, when they get into adulthood, they will definitely use those skills to be more successful, not necessarily in terms of money, but emotionally mm-hmm. in their day-to-day life. Yeah. And I guess something like a yes day just gives us that opportunity to stop and pause and have a think about all this stuff and whether it matters to us. And of course it matters to us yeah. at the end of the day. We want the best for our children. And I think a yes day is this on acid. <laughs> but that kind of yes approach yep. is something that can just underpin your kind of realistic parenting every day. But you might choose. I mean, I know that uh, somebody we chatted to has yesmas, which means on <laughs> either a day running up to Christmas or Christmas Day, the answer is yes to everything. Some people have that really American idea that they have a yes day where they just say yes I mean, it sounds like dangerous territory to me. Yeah. Just saying yes. <laughs> I think there are quite a few caveats required. Well, yeah. I think about my children. If I had a yes day, I'd be bankrupt by they'd the end of the day. They'd be wise to it, but they'd be like, oh, yeah. yes, it's a yes, yes. day. Yeah. Get your list out. But I think the idea of what we're talking about today is more about as parents getting out of the habit or recognising the habit of just saying no and having some alternatives that are both beneficial but not too stressful in terms of being a parent. Cool. Go on then, Alistair. Give us five hacks for alternatives to saying no. Uh, Number one, give some choices when you can, because that's better than just saying a flat no. Number two, don't give too many options for very young children, maybe just one or two because they get a bit overwhelmed. Number three, be consistent with any negative responses that you give. So explaining why. Always good to have a little loose script in your head of what you might say if you have to say no to your child. Number four, use a visual timetable or toys and play to try and explain to a child that might be struggling with a timetable. And number five, use positive language and try not to put the thought in their head by saying, don't jump on the sofa. Love it. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, do get in touch if you've got any questions for us or if there's something you'd like us to chat about on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. 
You can post questions on our Facebook community or on our Instagram, and you'll find us at My First Five Years with the five written out. And if you want any more tips around all of the things we've discussed today, you can download the My First Five Years app from the App Store. And you can also get this podcast direct to your feed by pressing the follow button in your Apple Podcasts app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just press follow. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time when we have a Father's Day special. We cannot wait to see you then. See you then.